Now. Three, two, one, go! This is episode 44 of the Cool Down Time Podcast. I'm your graphically impressive host, Marco, and I'm joined by my co-op co-host, Pablo, to talk about gaming's best and bootiest. Pablo, say what's up to the people, man. What's up to the people? All right. In this episode, we will be covering the love-hate relationship we have with open world games, whether the Steam Deck is a steaming pile like Pablo predicted, and more. <laughs> We're going to get into all that. So if you like what you hear, if you're new to the show, if you return back to the show, thank you regardless. And give our podcast a sub if you're up for it. We, uh, we post new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, other popular streaming apps. We're where you need us. Uh, and you can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast or Twitter at CooldownTimePod to stay connected with your boys. Uh, so, Pablo, let's not waste any time, man. Let's jump right into the first segment of the show, which is loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right. And so uh, it's been an interesting week of gaming. Um, obviously, we've we've been playing a lot of Elden Ring. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, another game that has popped up in demo form that I know you have been particularly excited oh, about. They released some other stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, but Kirby in the Forgotten Land uh, got a demo that dropped in the eShop. And uh, Pablo, you've had your eye on this game ever since it was announced. So I, I want to kick things off with you first to uh, kind of walk me through how you're feeling about this game. Um, and and I, I guess just like how much of a Kirby fan are you? Uh, I'm not I guess at all. Is a good place. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I'm not really a Kirby fan. I, I can't even think of... Like, I have no memories or anything, uh, like, back in the day playing, like, a Mario game or in terms of, like, having that same equal memory to playing Kirby. I don't, can't remember the first Kirby game I played. I think yeah. I played something on Game Boy. Yeah, that was probably, about it. Yeah, not a fan at all. Um, and this game, the reason I have my eye on it, because this game almost seems like the first time that they, they take that, that Kirby character and really... Uh, you know, do something more with it because Kirby is a weird kind of IP where they use it for a lot of different things. It's a, it's a platformer, it's a side scroller, it's a side scroller platformer brawler. Like they do a lot of different stuff with it. This time definitely looks like the 3D platformer a la Mario Odyssey, right? And and into that point, I think Mario, I think that this game takes the Odyssey formula and it distills it to like its most simplest form. And I like mm. that because when you look at what Odyssey did, which I loved, uh, uh, for me, Odyssey, and we talked about this, had the highs of highs and the lows of lows. And I don't think that this Kirby game will ever reach the highs of that Mario Odyssey experience. But if it can stay somewhere in the middle, you know, and be consistent, I think it could be a really solid game. I I'm really I really enjoyed the demo. Did, did how, how about yourself? I know you weren't really into it, but you finally gave it a chance. Did you? Um, did you I'll, enjoy? I'll be it? honest. I didn't really enjoy it. I got I, I got through a part of it, and I just kind of, I was like, all right, I kind of know what this is going to be, and yeah. um, I knew it wasn't for me, but I, I don't want to I don't want to step into that territory yet. I want to kind of let you start first, because I know this one kind of, from what I understand it, this one kind of impressed you. I think you said you played through this twice? Yeah, I played through the demo twice. I, I enjoyed it, man. I, I think, you know, I, I think it has that kind of Nintendo whimsicalness to it. Um, I, I, I think agree. The, 
Yeah, Nintendo definitely, uh, when they have a game that they really like, they don't shut up about it. And listen, they have not shut up about this game. Multiple um, trailers, they have a demo almost three weeks out, two weeks out from release of the game. They're confident in this game. And I really enjoy, like, what I played. I like the... I know the, the, the name is hilarious. The mouthful mode, disgusting. <laughs> I, I really like that because it really changes. Like, one of the things that Kirby is famous for is kind of, you know, engulf, enveloping something and then ha- taking its powers, right? You know, that's something it, it, that he does. It does, whatever it is. Uh, and um, the game does that. But also, when you go into that mouthful mode, it not only changes kind of like the way you play the game in terms of like a- action base like uh, in terms of like battling but really just the entire game itself like you get you you, you you engulf the car and it's more of like you know you drive through and, and do some things that you do some puzzle solving based on what the car does your big huge cone and there's certain boss fights certain things that happen throughout this demo that you could only take on as that cone shaped thing so like it really it, it they really do a good job it's it's not as as free and open as a as an open world or odyssey even might have been it's very segmented areas like this yeah. is the, the the time that you take this and i like that i i i i don't necessarily need the open which is funny which is what this episode is basically going to be about about open worlds and mm-hmm. i i think one of the things that we'll talk about later is a developer recognizing when a game doesn't need to be a massive open world game and i think that they do this with with this game i think it has a lot of the dna of of again of an odyssey type of 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 3d platformer but it's really 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 um simple in its approach and i really enjoy it for that and i i i like it quite a bit i'm actually pretty excited for it um i you know i it, it's a game that it's probably not going to completely take me away from elden ring but it's definitely different enough to where I can enjoy these two things, you know, separately and not have to keep com- coming back or comparing it to to Elden Ring or whatever the case mm. may be. Because I, I tried to play the three hour demo to um, uh, to uh, Triangle Strategy, and I'm like, why would I play this RPG when I can just go back? Like it just, I wasn't even in it. So. I don't even like triangles like that. <laughs> so the uh, what's your favorite kind of triangle? That's right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Everybody likes I, geometry. I, <laughs> um. I, I really enjoyed what I played, and I and um and it and it just kind of cemented my excitement for the game. Now, I don't want to get it like completely twisted and feel it's like I think it's going to be the game of the year, or this is going to be like one of those great games of the year. Hopefully, maybe it'll make my top ten. I but mean, it just you, you did give it an eighty-eight prediction for the open critic. Yeah, because I, I do think that when any Nintendo platform that does something different enough, I mean, we've seen it throughout. Like Odyssey, I don't think Odyssey is the best three D Mario game, and it's the, I think it's the highest rated game of all time. If I'm not mistaken, Zelda <laughs> Breath of the Wild, which I love and I I think it's incredible. Uh, it did something different. It got huge uh, high scores. I, I think anything Nintendo IP that does something different enough to where it's like something new mm-hmm. for that character IP, it usually rates high. So that's based on that. But I, 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 I'm excited for it, but I, I'm tempering my excitement as well. I'm not thinking this is the next Odyssey or the next Breath of the Wild. It's not what this is, but it's it's, it's a fun little kind of platformer, and, and I'm excited to see if, if it kind of holds up. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I appreciate, you know, that. I think I think that is uh, you know, it's it's cool that it can be that kind of game for people. I just think that my problems with Kirby um have always been and in this case still is more on an existential level because the the Mario Odyssey comparison is very valid. It's very valid. It, it is like Mario Odyssey light. 
Um, and, and I think that's cool because it's it's familiar for a game that to you, what you just said is reviewed so well. But at the same time, it's like, but but what is Kirby then? What is Kirby as a series trying to be? Is it just trying to be a, a, a great value Mario? Like this is this this is the problem this series has always had. It's always had its unique hook because Kirby's such a unique um, you know character and can do so many things uh, and suck so much down. <laughs> but hey. like, hey, but but in all seriousness, it's like, but I still don't feel like they really know how to position this IP. So when these new Kirby games come around, it's like, oh, cool. But this still feels like a poor man's Mario. And I hate to reduce it down to that because I know that people love Kirby. But in a lot of ways, for me, it feels that way. And this game felt like no exception. It just felt like a a very simplified and almost baby mode version of of a game that we played years ago with Mario Odyssey. Uh, And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying I hate it. I just, it's like, I, I, okay. Sixty yeah, bucks. Kirby's always struggled with its identity in terms of what it is. Because, like I said, when you look at past Odyssey, I mean, when you when you look at past Kirby games, there are a lot of different things. Like again, mm. they're purely platformers, brawlers. Like the one that came out a couple of years ago was a was a was a, was a brawler. You know, so I, yeah. I think Kirby's a weird thing where it's a recognizable IP with a not very specific kind of uh, genre in which it fits into. I mean, I think maybe developers maybe like that about it, that they could pretty much put them into anything. Um, which they, Nintendo does that quite often. I mean, you got you got the Brawl series, you got the Mario Kart. But yeah, Kirby to me is, is a very um, is a very weird character. And this is for me the first time that I feel like they've really given, given it like a, a, a fair shake in terms of a quality game. Now, it's mm. undoubtedly going to be compared to Odyssey, and I even mention it. I don't think it'll reach the height of Odyssey at all. But no. uh, but I think one of the reasons that helps Odyssey is that it has that history because a lot of portion of, of Odyssey is an homage to the Mario character and, and the IP itself. There's not there's that huge part is going to be missing from this Kirby uh, game. But at the end of it, I think I can appreciate the gameplay of it. To, uh, at the end, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how far it's going to carry me. I'm not sure if the that mouthful mode is going to be something that later on is is it evolves and becomes a little a little more or if it just becomes kind of stale i mean it's it, totally possible i can see it the, the three levels in that demo that i played that, that, that are available on that demo are unique and different enough to where it kept me interesting and never felt like i was doing the same thing over and over but you yeah. know how 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 diverse are those are those areas you know we'll exactly see. plus like you know when you can turn into a construction cone but in odyssey you can turn into a whole dinosaur like you know to me it's just like yeah yeah uh, you know like the, it's it just again it just feels like a pared back um it almost like and I, I, again i'm not trying to you know harp on the game it just feels like an imitation in some ways of of, of what odyssey did and oh, so I, I don't i don't think that there's a world where this game exists without odyssey existing at all like, yeah. yeah yeah it just feels like the best way i can describe this game is that it it is a very um, it is taking the Mario Odyssey formula and it is presenting it back to you in the most like rudimentary um, yeah. way possible. Like it's it, it, it's just it, it it it's copying the formula, but it doesn't quite have the same spirit to me as as the yeah, Mario that's what, version. That's what I said. I said it, it, exactly, and I agree because I think it's distilling it to its simplest form. And right, you know, I right. don't think that's exactly a bad thing, but I don't. It could. 
it could very well end up being a bad thing, you know, like, you know, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Other thing I'll say is the difficulty is, is I, I kind of half jokingly said baby mode. It is, it is too easy. And I'm yeah, not I just played, saying that because of we're playing Elden Ring and it's going from no, one yeah. extreme to the I, other. It's too easy. It's way I played too it easy. on the, there's a difficulty mode. Uh, yeah, I played it on that. Yeah, and it's it still, ain't hard. <laughs> it, no, it's ridiculously easy. It, it I don't. Does it, it's the kiddiest feeling difficulty out of a Nintendo game I played in a while. And, and that's and you know that's part for the course for Kirby games as well because all the other games I've come out and I've played here and there are always like just close your eyes and hit A or something and win. And, and, yeah, and, and, and win. <laughs> and I and I think of course obviously that that works for kids. Uh, and uh, but you know. I want something a little more substance. That again, you're right. It has nothing to do with the fact that we're playing Elden Ring. It's just this game. I'm a is full easy. grown man. I want. I want full grown man difficulty. Yeah. Don't give me this. Don't give me this Gerber baby difficulty, man. I don't want yeah, all and, that. And, and I guess. And I guess, like you know, I there's there's a lot it remains to be seen as to what exactly they can do with that. Whether or not you know, you know, it, there's a there's another mode that 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 exists that's a, like an insane mode or anything. But I yeah, it is pretty easy. So but. yeah. Well, I think it's going to be a pass for me, but uh, it sounds like you, you're still going to keep an eye on it for sure when it when it drops. Yeah, I mean, so. unless the reviews come out, it's like a, all our worst fears in terms of like it's bland, mm. it becomes repetitive. Then obviously it's not even going to get a, a chance for me. But if it reviews well enough to where like, hey, this is kind of taking the formula of Odyssey, but it's it's putting it with Kirby and doing mm. things with it, then I'll check it out. But it has to gotcha. it has to review recently. Review recently. Uh, review decently. There you go. There you go. I had a mouthful. Ah, that's nasty. Um, All right, let's go ahead and move on before it gets gross. Let's talk about a grossly good video game. Terrible segue. Uh, Elden Ring. We're not going to try to make too many of our episodes like the Elden Ring Chronicles per se, but this is one of those games where it's taking people a lot of time to progress through it. We're all discovering new things daily, so daily. you're going to have to hear us talk a little bit about Elden Ring once in a while, uh, you know, because this is that and big I, of a game. And I think if you guys are fans of of this podcast, you guys love video games, and if you love video games, you're probably playing Elden Ring, and you're not going to mind too much. Uh, and if you don't like mm. Elden Ring for whatever reason, my bad, guys. A uh, couple more weeks. A couple more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Try us out in September. Um, you know, we'll be a good show by then, have it all out of our system, you know. Uh, but no, um, so Pablo kind of, um, you know, uh, we, we, we talked pretty extensively about it in the last episode, so we're not going to retread a lot of that same um, stuff, but I do want to kind of check back in yeah. uh, and just see how you're feeling since then. Um, you know, what's been kind of your, your vibe of the game so far, um, you know, and just what are you, what's your response to some of the things you've been hearing about the game in other circles, especially in the media side of things? Um, where are you at right now? Just, just I'm opening the floor up to you. Yeah, man, it continues to impress. I, I honestly can't put it down. Uh, I think we, when we talked about last week, we talked about the sense of discovery and how incredible that was. I think for me, it's only gotten stronger. Uh, you mm. know, yeah, I think you, you're discovering things that you're like, that seem like, that don't really seem like they're part of the of the game or, or whatever, and, and they end up being something more. You know, that stuff is, is, always, fu- is always fun. Um, I think... Um, I think the open world of it is is still to me pretty mesmerizing. Uh, like when you think you've seen it all, the map just gets bigger. The areas are more expansive, and like 
they're so different from each other, but again, they fit all together like really nicely. I man, I I totally agree. I've man, I have seen things in this game that yeah. are like surreal. Like not even just like vistas. I mean like yeah. places they like you you end up getting transported to it and you're like, "Oh my god, yeah. what is this?" Like it is it is that kind of thing. I, I hate to keep gushing about it, but you're right. It is Yo, just it's, it's astonishing. It's 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 I've never um, you play Breath of the Wild, and Breath of the Wild areas are different, but they're different by like uh, fire area themes. Yeah, like yeah, themes, yeah, right. This is just like a world. This is like a living, breathing world where it's like holy shit. It, it, I've, I honestly can truly say that I've never experienced this in a video game where every area in, in open world games seems to be like the ice, the, the the snowy part. This and this has that for sure. But it, it's it's so much more than that, and and I really really it, it, it's 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 kind of invigorating in terms of playing this game. Um, yeah. I, I think, uh, and I said this on, on a tweet, and I and I'm pretty confident in it, even still, if not more so. It's probably the best game I played since Breath of the Wild. Uh, just and I don't mean that like, and I don't and I I don't mean that more. I don't mean that like um, technically or anything. I just mean that in how I'm playing the game. When I play Breath mm. of the Wild, I could not put it down. I, I I put hours and hours and hours. I played nothing forever. And I am very much like, I, I, I sit down here to, to play a game and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll play Horizon Forbidden West, which by the way, I, I love that game. I think that game is awesome to play. And I still kind of think about it. But then I was like, why would I do that when I can play Elden Ring? <laughs> and it's it's and it's not fair to that game because, man, that game's gone through some shit. No, but, uh, but again, you got to game how you game. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and and I, I, I think it's funny because one of the things that, we, <laughs> that I saw was there's devs, which I've never seen this before. And correct me if I'm wrong, Marco. There are devs who are, like, hating on this game. And I've never seen that before, where a, a, a dev from Horizon Forbidden West and, and a Ubisoft uh, developer have gone to Twitter and literally been like, yo, this game doesn't have a good UI. Why is this game getting good reviews? Which is crazy to me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know, man. That, that's, that's, it, that's it's weird. weird. It, it's weird because, there's, first of all, there's always like a code of, of, of ethics or honor, whatever you want to throw in there between yeah. developers, because they all know what it's like to make games, and they That's know a, yeah. that games can come out good or bad for reasons beyond a team's control. Sometimes yeah. it can come down to management. There's all types of variables. We, we're not going to get into all that, but it's just bizarre that this is the game people decided to to get out of bed and talk about. Like like that's like this is the one out of all the games that have gotten good reviews that are open world games that were kind of just all right. This is the yeah. one people decided to pick because uh, because of what exactly? Like so, it to me it's just kind of a weird singling out that I don't really like. And and I'll, I and I like I said in the last episode, like the Souls games to me were always the media darling, and I I get that that might kind of be bothersome to other studios that are like hey we're making games that we think are just as good or maybe in the same you know sure. same ish echelon and you know we want our our flowers too i get that but you should never want that at the expense of tearing another game down and also when you're when you're talking about open critics this is one of the things they talked about it's like when you look at dying light 2 when you look at horizon forbidden west and when you look at elden ring i do think that elden ring stands apart from those games but i don't think it's like night and day where i, I don't well, maybe it is but I, I don't really think that for example i think the 74 or something for uh dying light 2 that game that game is great that's a great mm-hmm. fucking game. Like, it's just so weird that developers are always kind of like, well, you know, 
the, the open critic or the Metacritic doesn't tell the whole story. Agreed. But with this game, they're trying to tell us that it's it's not telling you the whole story based on the yeah. fact that it's it, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I just think that we've never seen a game like this because it's a Souls game, which you said it's, it's always been an industry darling, never been a, 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 a kind of like a like a thing that a lot of people play and Elden Ring has kind of changed that narrative a little mm-hmm. bit. Like everybody is playing this game, which is crazy to me. People you never expect like yeah. Marco is playing right. this game. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. For those reasons and because of that, I think I think for uh, some developers out there, it's like, "Oh, Souls was cute when it was over there." But now right. it's trying to do what we do. Now it's in the open world territory and it's doing it better. And it's not doing what we do, and it's making us kind of look a little Bad. dumb, you know. Yeah. And we'll get into more of the reasons why when we talk about open world games on the, in the checkpoint. But I, you know, I just I, honestly I think that person or those people should be disciplined um, at, yeah. at, at the job. I don't say I wouldn't say fire them per se, but I think you have to understand y- y'all are supposed to be in it together over there. You know, it's already hard enough for developers with crunch culture, with the way people are treated. The last thing people should be doing is going after each other because your yeah. other because another game came out great. Like that's ridiculous and, to me. And it's basically not even a, a issue where like, well, the game is 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 performed badly. They're really going after the game for a artistic choice, a stylistic choice, a very bare minimum UI. Like it's hilarious to me that that that, that picture you showed me with what uh, what Elden Ring would look like if Ubisoft made it. You know, yeah, that a Ubisoft UI developer Icons complained about that. Mini-map. Like yeah, I was like, dude, stuff. like really? Is that what you would? That's that's so crazy the way they would they think that way. Um, yeah. Another pet peeve of mine that I'm seeing. This is kind of just quick, and this is kind of just me being like kind of a gatekeeper of Souls games. Is like certain people who are never played a Souls games talking about Souls games like a lot, and it's it, it, and and their information, the stuff that they're talking about is so like. I, you're not quite understanding how these games work, which is a total Pablo thing. It's just you got you got an of, example. Yeah, so uh, I I don't want to say names. I okay, who cares? Gene Parker, who's a a uh, um, a um, he's a journalist. He reviews games. He reviews Elden Ring. He 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 shared a video of this guy, and in the video he goes. This is what you get when you just don't go at a boss over and over and you discover the world around it. And this guy was killing a boss in one shot. I'm like, that guy was farming for runes for like 60, 70 hours to get to a point where you got kind of breaking the game. Little things like that. And then you got like Jez from, I think, Windows Mm -hmm. Central talking about the game in a way. It's like, I don't think you would. Little things like that, which I think it's almost kind of misleading players in terms of like how people talk about the game. Like you have to still be honest about what this is. And I think a lot of people are playing this game based on the reviews, based on some other trusted sources that are trusted reviewers that might be kind of indulging into this game for the first time. And I and I think a lot of people are are starting to, and I've seen kind of, uh, you know, kind of talk on people kind of falling off the game. And and one of the things I've seen a lot is that that first boss, um, um, Margie or Margie, yeah, Margie, yeah, like people saying that that boss is way too hard. Um, so like, I don't know, man. It's just like, for me, it's like, yeah, it's a very hard boss, but like, I I think you were told that this was an entry, uh, an accessible, uh, souls game. And you went right to that. Cause you can literally go to that first boss almost immediately. Uh, so it's one of those things where, you know, you still kind of be kind of, uh, you got to be honest with what this is. And this is a Souls game through and through. And, and, yeah, you, and, you still have to put in the work to learn how to play the game well and to level up. I mean, obviously yeah. not to the point where you're breaking the game like that person did. Oh, but but, but like, even then, 
You can't. But it's your choice. The game yeah. allows you to do it. You can do it. Yeah. Have at it. But like, you know, don't you can't say like this is just uh this is just me. This is just based on this uh just exploring the area. No, that's you can play that whole game cuz mm-hmm. and not ever do that. You know, that's yeah, not the yeah. way that game is meant to be played. But yeah. You know. I mean, I said my piece on that in the in the last episode when I talked about the Souls community, but you know, even the media at large, uh, you know, and and just people in general that talk about this game, especially if they're new to to Elden Ring or, or Souls games in, in general, it's just it's really turning people off who would actually maybe give this game a fair try. Um, yep. that are still sitting on the fence, um, you know, because, you know, people can listen to people like us all day long, talk about how great it is. But, you know, whether or not it's going to connect with them is is a mystery. But but, you know, it, it's like those types of people, those types of voices, those types of tweets are not doing anybody uh, a service whatsoever. Not at all. It's, it's yeah. just making the message more confusing for the people that might actually end up playing this game one day and, and realizing it's one of their goats, you know? Yeah. Here, here's the thing. Uh, so I've talked about uh, that game. Uh, you, uh, well, how, how do you feel about it? Because I know you've been playing as much as I have, and I'm pretty sure I think I know how you feel. But like, you know, this is like many, 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 many hours in. What's your What's your thought on the game so far? Like, well, how is it? How is this staying with you? It, has your opinion changed, yeah. evolved, stayed um, the same? So I think I'm around. Um... I want to say I'm about at 30 hours, uh, give or take. Um, I got my characters, I think, in the mid-50s right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty solid uh, in terms of progression. Um, I have, I mean, I took the last day off from playing the game to just to kind of, because I got through a really hard boss fight and it, it sort of exhausted me for a while. Yeah. So I, I kind of respected my own, like, my my own need to like step away for a while and not like force myself to keep you know playing through challenges like that um so i, I took a day break uh but that's about as uh, as much time away from the game as i've spent um other than that i've been pretty pretty much d- uh, nightly uh devoting hours of time into this game and um i've i've made a lot of progress i have become i don't want to say fearless towards boss fights but i don't have that same feeling of daunt that i used to in other games where i'm actually kind of welcoming the challenge for the first time and i'm like oh i got you down to a quarter health on the first try i'll get you in a couple more tries so i'm not even like i don't i don't get upset about the 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 win loss record thing anymore like i used to yeah now i'm now i'm seeing oh i already got you down to this and i'm only on my second try like so now I, i feel more more emboldened um, yeah, to it, to figure out how to crack that last piece of their health bar, and that's always kind of how I felt about those games where they they always felt to me like combat puzzles where uh-huh. you figure out the way that boss operates, you you create a strategy to to beat that boss, and every time you fight it, when you're getting it down to a specific percentage of health, it's almost like a piece of the puzzle that's falling into place. Mm-hmm. And so like you beat it and then in your head, you're like, why did that take me so long? That that was e- I've never, and I can tell you this right now, I've never had a boss fight in any Souls game, except one, I'll tell you which one it is. In any Souls games where I finished that and thought to myself, man, that really was difficult. By the end of that time, when I finished fighting, I'm like that was actually kind of easy. Like I should have figured that out. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the only boss fight that did that to me was the mid boss fight in Sekiro, which is the hardest boss fight in the entire game. They put it in the middle of that game to kind of give you like this huge kind of euphoria of beating this guy, and then kind of rummaging like 
breaking through that game in the second half into the boss fight, which is a pretty yeah. cool strategy. But that middle boss, when I beat it by sheer fucking luck, like every time I played that that boss fight, I was at like at five percent health. He was at five percent health, and it was always like. And when I beat it, I never played that game again. I just I couldn't do it. Like <laughs> yeah, it was like there's I, I no there is no way that I am ever going to play this game that's again to peak. get this boss. This boss yeah. is re- it's ridiculous, and it's right. And that's the only time I ever felt like that in Souls games. But every other Souls games that I fought and never progressed through every boss, at the end of it, I'm like, oh, that shit was easy. I should have just done this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. I can go back and pretty much just demolish that boss so yeah. you know it, it's i, I love in this game i feel a lot like that so i'm i'm really yeah. into this game man. i'm still and i'm, I'm, I'm still so happy it. you're in, into it it's it still like my uh, prediction's gonna it's gonna come out in your top 10 well no so i'll just i'll just intentionally leave it out and then i'll add back in like <laughs> a revisionist history episode we'll do in 10 years yeah i got this <laughs> no, uh, no but it's it. It is, uh, it, it is, it is uh, surging up my top games of all time ranks right now, and I, I wish I could say, "Oh, I'm just in the, I'm just in the moment." But I'm, I'm, I'm no, no, out. no, because there, there's definitely there's definitely that 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 recency bias, and, and there's definitely that, and, and we can engage in hyperbole all day, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, there's just no way that this game, compared to other games that I've played in the open world genre, that that don't match up, if not beat it, you know. So yep. it, it is yep. what it is at that point. All right, man. So let's go ahead and uh, let's move on to our next uh, our next segment of the show, which is our news item segment called Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, Pablo. Let's start off with an interesting story. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard of this podcast, but the Cool Down Time podcast is, uh, is celebrating its one-year anniversary. Known for their songs about booty juice, long run times, eating crow, and unfinished games, and Dreamcast slander, and intense debates about pooping in public restrooms... This aggressively above-average gaming podcast has much to celebrate. Quote, it makes me feel good, said the show's co-host Pablo in a Zoom interview conducted in a public restroom, while his co-host of this critically unknown podcast, Marco, declined to comment. Pablo, what do we make of this? Sounds like an incredibly... uh... (laughs) smart group of people a uh, pair of people making an incredible show about the least important thing that's <laughs> happening in the world right now which is video games <laughs> i love it we could not have picked it more <laughs> least relevant actually i don't know about that uh gaming yeah. is pretty popular um, yeah gaming is game, no, gaming fun. is great yeah. it's been fun i will I, i've decided to comment after all uh, yeah. it is, it is, uh, it has been a fun ride. Uh, this is something that me and Pablo always wanted to, to do. We had talked about doing a show for, we talked about, we talked about doing the show forever, but we've probably wanted to do the show since we were kids. We just didn't know that this, existed, yeah, this platform. Yeah, it, it was always a thing, um, yeah. that we, that we had in mind it, and we finally just decided to go ahead and pull the trigger on it. It was the right time. And I think we were, you know, me and Pablo both looked for that outlet to kind of, unleash our video game opinions on things and you can only you know say so much to your friends and sometimes you just want to kind of put that out in the airwaves and see what people think but um you know we appreciate all the listeners who've checked us out and uh if you're one of them thank you uh, if you're first listen first time listener thank you for checking us out but uh yeah we've been doing this for a year um i don't know if we're gonna have a big best of spectacular kind of thing but um Good. it is it is still uh we have we've had a lot of uh classic moments do you have a favorite you have a favorite moment favorite Favorite thing that we did on the show at one point? 
I know. I, I think um, not to get too cheesy. I think my favorite moment really has little to do with with the show, but more of the fact that you know we've always connected and always had uh, uh, we maintained a friendship. But like the fact that we yeah. actually reconnected and we hung out uh, person to person. That kind of stuff. When we're recording early days in your apartment, it was just you know, yeah, right there, stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that I that if if I take anything else away from that is reconnecting with with my friend Marco. Yeah, I didn't like any of that. Um, <laughs> just kind of okay, uh, a little overrated. Nah, I mean, uh, you know what? I think I've enjoyed the most is uh, you know the 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 ability to just kind of be our own brand of of humor too. Like, yeah. Who else is out here talking about booty juice every week? Who's singing it? And who's singing it as well as me? You know what I mean? Like yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff and, and you know, like me and Pablo listen to a we consume a lot of like gaming media, uh, especially podcasts, we, we you know, or, or you know, things like that. And um, not to be like armchair analysts, but a lot of them are a little on the dry, a little little bone dry. So, you know, yeah, we wanted I, to want to do a little I splash that, of some of some some Pabloisms and Marcoisms yeah, in here. I think that's part of it too. I, I you know, I, if anything, I think this is more for us and I obviously we would love to share it for to, to more people to to hear us just cuz you know, it, it's it, it'd be great. But I think ultimately one of the things that we look at when we listen to other podcasts is you know, very much about informing and being informative, which is great for me as yeah. a listener, but as as someone who is kind of wants to talk about games, I I kind of just want to, you know, I just want to hear myself talk, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to doing more of these, man. This has been a good time so far. Uh, but let's move on to a real news item. Um, this, one is, uh, this, is one, this is one that I want Pablo's take on uh, for sure. The long-awaited launch of the Steam Deck is finally here. But, unfortunately, Pablo, Valve's new handheld gaming device has received some less than stellar feedback thus far as news of poor performance graphic settings hell horrendous battery life game compatibility issues and of course stick drift has sucked a lot of the excitement out of the steam decks debut all right man what's your take what's your take where are you at with this how, how, how is this news hitting you um yeah especially after your prediction well, my prediction was based more on the fact that this thing, this this handheld PC, is not a new idea. It's not even the newest iteration of, of like it's not even this is the newest thing that's come out. But in the last eighteen months, there's been other PC handhelds that come out that are more powerful. Yeah, sure, more expensive. So it's not a new concept. I think that Valve getting behind it and Valve being a very popular, uh, you know, uh, video game developing team and, and, and also owning Steam and Steam being huge. I think that this is getting a lot of attention in the media for something that it's doing that it's not necessarily revolutionary. My my issue here, and here's the thing: I didn't even think that it would launch with 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 actual problems but the fact that it's actually launching with battery issues uh like settings hell and the fact that a stick drift out of the box is really crazy to me um but apparently they fixed it the stick drift like it was a bug or something which yeah it was software related apparently or something like that but still uh, come on man yeah it's just little things like that i think ultimately for me it's weird because when you look at when you look at it and you look at games media as a whole in a more general you know in a more general view and less kind of like how we drill down to stuff. Nobody's really talking about this Steam Deck. Regardless of, of, of like IGN.com, those big, they're not really talking about it. In fact, it's being overshadowed by software, Elden Ring. It's being overshadowed by that. Um, 
But my thing is, is the main problem with people who are like kind of really behind the Steam Deck is the way they talk about it. They almost talk about it like the potential killer to the Switch, which just isn't the case. You have the most popular company in the world besides Nintendo and Sony, Xbox releasing their newest consoles and still not being able to kind of, uh, you know, slow down the Nintendo Switch. Nintendo Switch is its own thing. It's always going to be its own thing. And a Steam Deck is not going to change that. Period. It's, it's just not that's just not going to be the thing that nah, that kills yeah. it. The thing that kills the, the the Nintendo Switch will be the Nintendo Switch 2. It's always that's what killed 3DS is the Nintendo Switch. So it, it's just weird to me how how we got a lot of people who are kind of like defending this based on th- that uh, take, which doesn't make no sense. I, I my prediction is by the end of the year this is going to be kind of like a, a, a story that came and went, and I still believe that's going to be the case, uh, especially now more than ever. Like I I hear about the Steam Deck all day because of specific people that I follow, and that's it. When I take those people out of kind of rotation in terms of what I'm reading, nobody's talking. About this thing, and that doesn't necessarily mean that thing is is completely garbage and unused. As a matter of fact, Alex, uh, uh, from friend of the show, yeah, friend of the show, he bought one. He has one. He uh, he is a private contractor. He goes out to, to overseas a, a lot, mm-hmm. and so this makes a lot of sense for him. It's he practical even for him, it yeah. Saying, like it yeah. just makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, but ultimately, if I, I I'm not gonna sit here in this chair where I game and play a lesser version of Elden Ring just because That's I can. That's what I was it saying, just, man. Yeah, it just doesn't really make sense for me. And, and it, having a portable PC, like, I don't... I, I, I'm an avid gamer, and I don't ever really feel the need to play video games handheld for, like, 10 minutes on a, on a, on a car ride or something. It's just one of those things for me. Yeah. It doesn't work for me, and it doesn't really work at, at the video game uh, uh, kind of community at large. Uh, but even though people want to tell you this is the dream, it really isn't. It, it, it's a really cool uh, piece of tech that exists, but at the end of the day, it's not really. If if the, if the dream is that you can play Elden Ring at a low resolution at 30 frames per second with bus. an hour and a half battery life, yeah, then yeah. boy, do we have the dream come true for you. <laughs> you just call it the dream deck. It's about as... Yeah. It's a, it, I, I, I don't know, man. I You know, look. Every every new device, even you know the Switch has problems. Every console comes out with some kind of problem, right? So I'm not going to sit here and roast the Steam Deck because it has problems too. I just think that you're coming out into the gaming space in a different way than you ever have, right? You're trying to tap into a certain market that is predominantly Nintendo, Nintendo's domain, right? Um, and you're trying to find a niche somewhere in there, but you don't have anything really going for you with this device to even do that. Like the, the hardware is cool. I guess if you want some sub PS4 quality graphics, I mean, I guess that's fine, but who does that sound exciting to? Unless you're an Alex or, you know, of the world where you, you know, you need it for more practical reasons, then it makes perfect sense. But it's more like a necessity for him, right? Rather than a, than a must have. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know. If you've got a PlayStation 5 in your living room already, where you want to play Elden Ring? (laughs) I mean, you know, you tell me. So like, it, it, again, it's just, it, I don't know what kind of problem it's, it's, it's necessarily solving for on a large scale. Like there are... there are the Alexes of the world who need it for more practical reasons or want it for more practical reasons, but there are 
bigger questions about like it's almost like what what cloud gaming is like who is going from a tablet to a phone to a console to a laptop to play assassin's creed <laughs> you know what i mean like that what scenario is that happening for like so in the same way it's it's almost like okay this is cool but who who needs needs this right it's now? cool and, and and that's the thing because Alex went to uh, to another friend of his house and showed him the thing, and he said, "Oh, this is really cool." And I'm sure that if I had a Steam Deck in my hand and I, and I could play Elden Ring on there, I'd think that it's also very cool. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that this is solving any kind of problems or issues that I that I that I might have within my gaming uh, world. It's and it doesn't make sense for me. And again, I I I, I stand by my prediction that by the end of the year, uh, this is just going to be. Just a footnote in, in, in everything that's happened in video games this year so far. Yeah. All right, man. Moving on to our third and final hit point topic of the show. Pablo Polyphony Digital's highly anticipated sim racer Gran Turismo 7 has launched on PS4 and PS5 to rave reviews as it's currently sitting at an 88 on OpenCritic and Metacritic. Between Horizon Forbidden West and now Gran Turismo 7, how do we feel about Sony's year so far? And what do these games say to folks that counted Sony out after Xbox's dominant 2021 and their high-profile acquisitions? Where, where are you at with all this? Yeah, I think I think people who didn't see this coming in terms of like Sony having a big year, either they weren't paying attention or they're like relentless plastic box defenders. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make more sense. Like, Grand Theft Auto, uh, uh, not Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Grand Turismo Seven to me is another example of Sony Studios really kind of showing up. Like this is what we do, and Sony having full confidence in their team, even though two fucking idiots from the Cool Down Time podcast <laughs> counting this franchise completely out, completely wrong. I mean, look, this it, it's still not for me, but I I I I have to give respect. To, to a company who is relentless in their approach to video game and not trying to make this uh, game for everyone. It is still for the Gran, Gran Turismo enthusiasts and car enthusiasts. This is what this game exists for. And, and I think it's great. I, I think that, that this is an, an incredible uh, uh, accomplishment. Uh, people who are fans of this are loving it. And, uh, you know, if, you were, if it were up to me, I would never... Like if it, if they were like, all right, Pablo, you're in charge of the first party Sony things. What are the three, five to six franchises you are bringing back? I'm like, it ain't gonna be Gran Turismo, that's for sure. And I would have been dead wrong because mean look, because when you look at Forza Horizon Five and how incredible I was that just game gonna was, get to that. And then you release Gran Turismo Seven, and it's still getting praise like within that same you know genre to certain that's a huge accomplishment well, and you, plus it's like the one-two punch also like you yeah. had the forza horizon and halo right and now you have horizon forbidden west and gran turismo so it's like an interesting it's an interesting back-to-back that i kind of found as like so. a strange parallel but a cool one though you know yeah I, yeah i think and i think that's great and I, and I think when when like for example and not to bring well i will to bring Elden Ring into it. You, you play Elden Ring, and then you play another open-world game, and you're like, ooh, like, one game is so much better than the other, but you're playing Forza Horizon 5 and Gran Turismo 7, and it's like, oh, these games are equally good doing different things. You know what exactly. I mean? So that's that's really, really good, because I, 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 I want Sony to do well. I want Xbox. I want everybody to do well. It's better for me. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. That's that's how that's at the end of the day, it's better for everybody involved who loves video games. What happened? I have a confession. Oh, you bought it? <laughs> oh no. Uh so I you, uh, so this whole break you took from Elden Ring was uh, to play. Sh- why you why you why you why you time Both. checking me? Yeah, talk about it. it. That's awesome. I bought talk it. About I it. bought it. I decided to, to save it for now since we were going to talk about its success anyways. Um, I pulled the trigger on this one. Um, I don't quite know. Well, actually, I do quite know what it is that, that got me. I was watching a lot of, and I think I tweeted about this. I watched a lot of people streaming this game. I watched super, super car enthusiasts play it. The whole, the whole steering wheel, the whole car setup yeah. and their thing decked out i've seen people playing it just on a dual sense controller but it didn't seem to matter who i was watching everybody that i was watching was feeling and expressing this sense of just pure joy and elation for this game in a way that really was kind of touching uh in a, in a in a weird roundabout way because i just wasn't expecting Gran Turismo to, to have its hooks in people like that. But I but then I stopped and I thought about it, Pablo. And I saw and I said to myself, I says, I think I've sold Gran Turismo short in general and with this game. Because when I think back about when Gran Turismo first came out, whether you were a sim head or not, whether you like car games, you don't, it was really a trailblazer in a sense of it was one of the first, at least that I can think of, it was one of the first games ever that strived for real-life accuracy yeah. in any context. And it did it in a way that was obviously impressive for its time, but I think it kind of paved the way for the industry to do more than just create these arcade you know, little mascot games and bleepity-bloops and, and try to do something that was more realistic. Um, albeit this was cars and, you know, but I think the same kind of, um, it inspired other sports titles to go for more sim type of gameplay and, and more lifelike type of, you know, nuances in games in general. I think, I think the industry owes a lot to Gran Turismo. And so I figured, you know, since a lot of what I heard about this game was, okay, it's trying to reintroduce motorsport to a new generation because motorsport has kind of lost popularity over the years. I don't keep track of it at all, so I couldn't tell you. I said, okay, if that's what your goal is, and I'm one of those people, then challenge accepted. Get me to care. Um, and boy, do they try hard. Um, the, the intro is is one of the, it's like an eight or nine minute intro. You can't skip it, but it's one of the most touching and passionate intros I've ever seen. Uh, you know, and it really made me appreciate their passion for cars. You can feel it. Um, and it's, it's actually going to probably be one of my favorite moments of the year, just kind of watching that, that video unfold. Cause it went through the history of cars. You're seeing all these old black and white, uh, you know, in this, this beautiful classical music's playing. It's very, it's very exquisite, uh, in its presentation. Um, unbelievable visuals and sound i mean the uncanny valley man it is it is all uncanny valley here um it's more impressive looking than any game i've seen um that's striving for realism um instant loading times uh great 3d audio gyro controls 
you can play this game like like a use your controller almost like a steering wheel and it works incredible people were saying no you got to try it out. i hate gyro controls i never yeah, use yeah. it and i'm like all right i'll try it and i that's the way i play the game now it is that good uh the rumble the haptics are great um real real it gives it makes it makes each car feel different um for sure the interface and the presentation is so clean and tight um, the whole game just has this exquisite showroom feel. They make everything in this game seem like the most luxurious thing ever. Like <laughs> they can pull out a 1983 whatever junker car and they'll give you the story about why this was one of the most influential cars in, in motorsport history and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, OK. So even they, they even take the old dingy looking cars and make them like they prove to you this is why this car made the cut in this game. Um, yeah. And they and they you know you, they can't obviously make you care care but they they give you the history and they and they they show you and try to educate you to make you understand um, why this isn't some car you should just brush off because it doesn't look as cool as a Ferrari or whatever. Um, the racing is incredible. It encourages newcomers really well. Uh, it's as an it, it's as good of an instructor as it is a game. If that makes sense, it, it really does its best to teach you how to play racing games correctly and not just play it like you know you're barreling down corners when you when you pass a car but you you hit them on the way around the, cur- the curve like um you know it, it tries to, to to sway you away from that and to play it like you would if you were a professional um but it does it without daunting you or overwhelming you with like the getting you in the weeds of like tuning and stuff like that it's all there but it's not it's not like you have to go into the trenches of like how do i tune this to this and this to that right, right. It, it doesn't do that to you too hard at least not for from where I and I played about maybe nine ten hours of it so far. Actually, I've been kind of no lifing it for a bit. Um, the game just overall feels really focused and ultra refined, and I'll I'll put a pin in that, especially the focused part when we talk about open world games in a bit. Um, but it just feels so so polished. The only cons I'd say are the, the the music choices are really weird in this game. A lot of the classical music is just it's it's almost hilariously goofy, uh, and a lot of it is just stock music. Um, not a lot of newer cars. A lot. It's like a weird cutoff date of like 2017, 2018 for some reason. Um, so I, I'm guessing newer stuff's going to come down the line. And I will say, compared to Horizon, the rewards and prize system is a little on the weak side. Um, but that's honestly all the criticisms I have. I'm pleasantly surprised. This game is actually kind of fire. Yeah. So it looks great. It, it is, but it is 127% not for Pablo. <laughs> well, no, I, I played, I, I played, uh, I played every Gran Turismo except the one that came out most recently. And I, I like those games just fine, but I think with the uh, Forza Horizon kind of and the um, and the Paradise, what's the other one? Um, Burnout Paradise. Yeah, uh, those are the games that uh, ultimately uh, switched me into like I like these kinds of racing games, and I've abandoned yeah. all hope with with because even when you look <laughs> at motorsport and and, and Drive Club and, and games like that, those are games that I, I'm not a fan of. Uh, and even though when Xbox One came out and that Motorsport came out, I probably put, like, me and Fernando put, like, hours into mm-hmm. that. But that has mostly to do with the fact that we weren't fully introduced into that Forza Horizon world yet. So I think yeah. that's definitely – I've always kind of, of – of, of, I've always kind of, like, liked those kind of games, like Need for Speed Carbon and all that stuff. Mm. Um, these games are always good. But I, I think that I'm in a place right now where – 
Yeah. I, I'll never need to play another sim racing game. But I, I really am, I, I, pre- I appreciate that this game is, is not yeah. just a, uh, hey, we're here and we're just doing another one of these. This is, no, this is a love letter. And I hate that term, but it is what it is. It's oh, it a love letter to, to our to cars, but also to Gran Turismo, the 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 IP. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's really dope, and I'm I'm glad that it's, I'm glad that it's good. I mean, I, I predicted I like it was it gonna more. have like a 71, I think, and that's just based on just based on diminishing returns from previous, yeah, yeah. Uh, which entry. was a valid concern coming into. And it, I'm yeah. super happy to be ma- uh, to be wrong about that because yeah. that's that's you know the Gran Turismo, like you said, is a staple in video games. Like when you think when honestly when I think about PlayStation Two. One of the first games that come to is the Gran Turismo games. Of course, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I gotta say, I've been, I'm actually enjoying it more than Forza Horizon Five. Crazily enough, uh, it's it's not it's, crazy enough because uh, Forza Horizon Five is the most overrated game of last year. Oh, that doesn't it is mean time for it doesn't hour. mean it's bad. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like in retrospect, we're like, okay, maybe we're a little too high on this. Maybe you know it's what? the fact that 2021 wasn't as good. I, I'm not gonna. I, I thought we were gonna get past the whole episode without doing one of these. But your take on Forza Horizon Five is unequivocally this week's booty juice of the week. <laughs> but it's not because he just agreed that was me revving up the car. Oh my god! <laughs> I quit. <laughs> one year is it for the cooldown time podcast. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and shift gears to the main event of the show, the checkpoint chat. Here we come. It's time for the checkpoint chat. All right, so we are going to shift gears, talk about why um, Pablo hates Forza Horizon and uh, and experiences. (laughs) Pablo, take it away. Start talking. Uh, No, let's go ahead and talk about open world games. So, um, love hate relationship with open world games. I feel like this is starting to become more widespread, I think, than ever. I think a lot of yeah. people love open world games. A lot of people like open world games. But I think a lot of people are getting tired of open world games. And so I thought it'd be a good time considering, you know, where we're at with like Elden Ring uh, kind of being a disruptor in the open world, uh, you know, adventure RPG space. Even in even what we just talked about now with like the Gran Turismo's to Forza Horizons, those kinds of things. And, and, and just since it seems like it's on time, let's talk about it. Let's take a deep dive into our experience with open world games, um, our exhaustion levels with open world games and kind of how we feel like like these games have impacted the industry for the better or for the worse and, and kind of go from there. So, um, all right, man, I want to go ahead and kick it off to you first. Why don't we start here? What was, to your recollection, your your very first open world game and, and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I, I think that the answer here is, is unsurprisingly, is Ocarina of Time. Uh... Is that open world? It is open world. So, so I wrote here technically Ocarina of Time, and it, it is an open world game because at that time there was nothing that compared to this game. Like when you leave, uh, when you leave the village, or the Kakuriko village, when you leave that, it's a vast open world where you can go east, north, or west, and in that way, because there's nothing to compare it to in that at that time, that might as well have been infinity. Like in terms of where you can go, it might have been. It might as well have just been the world because it really was uh, a thing where you go into the castle, you do that that little uh, mission, and then once you're out and you get Ipuna, it's basically an 
open world game, right? Uh, the world is endless. It isn't, but it has the the, the it has the foresight to be the first of its kind. It you can tackle each of the temples any way you want. Not really, but it felt like that, you know. And then once you become an adult, the whole world changes. Uh, it becomes like a darker version, like a low rule kind of thing. And then at that point, it, it just almost kind of recontextualizes the entire map. But you have a horse. You, it's an open area. Uh, you're going to different places. Different. It, it, when you look at what that game was, because it came out before Grand Theft Auto Three which is probably my actual first open world game as we know them today. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you kind of look at, at, at the father, and I, and I always kind of felt this way, that Ocarina of Time is the, the prototype of an open world game because it, it that idea of going anywhere, doing anything, has always been in a player's mind since Nintendo, like since the, 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 the game first came out. And a lot of other games try to do that in, in different kind of ways. I think Ocarina of Time is the first game that actually accomplishes it because of the fact of 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 the vastness of the of the world itself it was it's it's there's something at that point where it just felt and it's the vastness of the world it just it just felt like nothing before and because there was nothing like it and then mm. obviously later on uh Grand Theft Auto 3 came out and that's really kind of changed evolved that formula into just like it took it to the next level but yeah. really in, in reality when you look at it uh that was an open world game at the, at that time it's just it just wasn't now it would be more like an open area game, kind of yeah. like a. I think some it, people it, would fight you on that now, but yeah. Yeah, for now, but I think at that time, that's why I say technically it was Ocarina of Time, but I think ultimately, okay. if you want to be more specific, it was Grand Theft Auto Three. A time that I can remember was like, oh shit, well, this is yeah, because yeah. that's actually mine. Um, yeah, Grand Theft Auto Three for me was the first go at it, and and Grand Theft Auto is its own beast beyond just the fact that it's open world, right? It's just sure. it, it, it's yeah. just pure insanity too. But I um. Yeah, it was my first time playing an open world game um, ever, and um, I remember the the feeling um, when you first start the game. You get into this car with uh, one of the characters in the game, Eight Ball. His hands are messed up, so he can't drive. He asks you to get in the car. Eight Ball? Why is it called Eight Ball? I don't know. I don't know. He just likes the number eight. He likes cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you get in the car, it's like, oh, I'm not just driving in a straight line to go over to this to, to this place over here anymore. Right. You're actually doing a lot more than that. And and um, the the world felt like it was alive, even though it wasn't. Uh, it, it had that feeling of being alive. Sure, it, it, it wasn't just waiting sure, for you to turn like the it. corner to, to see something like it. It felt like things were happening over there, even though they really weren't. And so it 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 let my my immersion run wild uh, the first time that I played it. And I wouldn't say that it it ruined other games for me, but it definitely changed my perspective on games that I'd play afterwards. Like I still had a appetite for traditional linear experiences and we'll talk about that more later on, but um it it really surprised me that it wouldn't just feel open and and, and empty, but it actually felt alive and worth exploring. And yeah. and the exp- exploration part is 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 another pin that I'll put in this conversation for for a little, you know, a little bit later on in the in the talk, but um it really just kind of floored me that that you know a game can kind of let you let you rock go out there and do what you want to do and and yeah. and you know come back to the main stuff when you when you feel like it like i that just to me was like what so in a lot of ways it was a little bit like confusing but 
like in a, in a pleasant way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, we've, we've had a lot of, obviously, plenty of open world game experiences since the first time, right? Um, we've seen how open world games have evolved, become more popular. But I want to check back with you again and, and, and talk to me about the first time you felt open world exhaustion was there a certain game that did it to you was it just a certain mindset that changed you what happened you know it's funny because when i when you presented this question at first uh and we're preparing for the episode and i thought okay this is going to be an earlier game something you know in the 2000s mid but really um i i think i i started really feeling like diminishing returns in Assassin's Creed 3, Grand Theft Auto 5, you know, mm. that kind of like, but really, what really did it for me was actually a fairly recent game in the last six, seven years was Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, yep. I played Origins and I loved Origins. Origins was, was it, it came out after Black Flag, a couple of years after Black Flag as well, the break completely kind of new engine it just felt new it felt fresh uh there was a lot of stuff that we see in, in open world games today but when i kind of think about it and i even look back and i kind of researched it the stuff you do in origins and the stuff you do in odyssey it, it, it like the amount of stuff is is, is inc- it's a it's a huge leap forward it's they just kept putting stuff in odyssey to the point where i was enjoying the story of odyssey quite a bit but i just stopped playing it because everything i would stand in (laughs) one area and every square inch of that area would be covered with a collectible someone to talk to it was just so so much it was so much that i was like i am not having fun i am underpowered to do the next main story mission it's forcing me to do all the shit here that i don't forgot about that yeah oh yeah i just i just i wasn't having a good time like I and I and I kind of had an analogy. It's this open world game is like quadrupling all the ingredients to a sandwich, <laughs> and it's like impossible to ingest. Like it's impossible to ingest. Like I love sandwiches, but that's too much. I can't do this. It, it, it just became an unenjoyable. It's mess. those burgers with like fourteen patties that just look ridiculous. Yeah, it's like put on f- Pinterest eat this, the- die, or get it for free. Like it's like <laughs> what the fuck? I don't even want to try. So for me, it it just it just was that kind, that game that did it to me. And, and honestly, ever since that, every game that has a lot shit, a lot of shit to do. I can't fit like another example and shame on me for just trying again. Assassin's Creed uh, Valhalla. Another game where I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I like the setting, the characters seem cool, next gen, you know, let's do it and it falls right into that trap almost immediately. Like I it was it's it's really it's really tough nowadays and and that's why Elden Ring is so refreshing because it kind of strips all that shit back into its most pure form. And, and that's it's 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 amazing, but yeah. yeah, that that was the game for me. So my pick was a little weird, and it's not because it's it's a gratuitously like open world game to a fault, like the the obnoxious open world game. It wasn't that. It just it was one of those games that was so good in in other areas that it just brought it to focus for me that oh I'm kind of tired of this, and that's actually Yakuza Zero. Um, what's interesting about that game is it is it is structured just like all the rest. It is yeah. open. It is it's open city, uh, essentially, right? But it's it, it is it is that open environment, 
And boy, was that game great. Incredible yeah. story. Incredible story. Great gameplay, great moments, all the things. One of my favorite games of all time. But I got to a point for the first time where the the openness of the game. Here's the thing. It was more game than I needed. Yeah. You know, it's it's got all these side things you can do. You can go play games in the arcade and you can go over here and then you can go take this weird guy that's dry humping something and nothing but a diaper over standing over there. And, you know, it's, it's like I don't need all of it. Like the, the yeah. story was so white hot that it was almost a momentum killer to do anything else in an open world sense. Right. And so it just made me kind of go, man, I kind of wish this was just more of a linear game and it would just kind of take me through the story beats in a more, in a more direct fashion instead of giving me this sense of urgency, like, Oh, you know, so-and-so has been kidnapped, but then you can go take on that mission to go rescue that person anytime you want. You know what I mean? So it kind of breaks the story in a way because you can go play in the arcade if you want to, or go, you know, I don't know, go manage a hostess club or something random, uh, a cabaret or whatever it is. And then, and then go save somebody from the clutches of death. Like it's just, it, it started to really feel like forced, I guess is the thing, you know? I think when, when coming up playing games like this, Every time a game had something to do, I think we were kind of just trained to, we have to do it. And so yeah. I think now, you and I, I think we, we've really gotten to a place where it's like, you know what? We just want to play the story. Let's just do that. Like, we don't feel bad about skipping side content and for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's something that we have to do and start to really enjoy the game. But before it was like, no, we have to do everything. We can't do it unless we do this and this. And it's because that's kind of like that new way of making these open world games. But now we're coming to a point where like, I think Dying Light 2 has way too much stuff in it. Oh, way too I much. I like the main story. So I'm, I'm just going through that. Yep. I think Horizon Forbidden West has a lot of shit to do and way too much stuff. But way I like going to progressing to the main story, you know? So it's just, it, it's one of those things where... I don't think these games are going to change. I think Elden Ring is an exception. Uh, but I, I, I think that, you know, the exhaustion is there and it's always going to be there unless a game like Elden Ring or Breath of the Wild come along and kind of change the way that yeah, they exactly. approach that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're not going to be all negative about open world games. I mean, yeah. they have been they have been a good time, you know. So, like, I guess to kick it to you again, like, what would you say, what is it about open world games that you feel have changed the industry or or games themselves for the better like what are some of the positives that have come out of this i think when you look at the way we used to play games as kids with nintendo super nintendo i think anytime you found a new area or a shortcut in super mario world that you can carve out your own path to, to bowser that stuff was always like oh i'm playing this my way that's what open world games have done now, where it's like it, it's 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 not just a shortcut or a cheat. It's really just kind of how you play the game itself. It's all about like immersion and, and how how you really allow yourself to to just become part of the story because of that of that open world. Like you look at Witcher Three, Breath of the Wild, Fallout series games. You can really just be your version of Geralt. You can explore the sandbox mm-hmm. of Breath of the Wild as you see fit. Role play as a as a survivor in yep. like this vast post apocalyptic world. Whereas to linear games, they're very much focused on this story. This is the character. Like there's not a lot of of, of imagination that goes out there. But when you're playing that that open world game, it's 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 storytelling in a non traditional way. It's using environment exploration and your play style to tell a story. And I think that that's 
that's something only an open world game can do, and it's opened up video games in this specific genre in a way that a linear game could never have done. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think open world games have not only changed video games, but really evolved them and, and, and kept them relevant throughout. Like, I, I think without the, the discovery or, or kind of, you know, these devs making open world games, I don't think video games could have survived just pumping out the same kind of Mario games, the same kind of Sonic games, the same kind of fighting games. Like, the yeah. fact that stuff has opened up and, like, racing games have uh, have taken the open world kind of thing and, and, and has worked for them. And, and just kind of, like, even brawlers. and Everything has a version of its own open world. And it's kind of, like, it's really great. Because when it works, I mean, there's, there's no other kind of game in any kind of genre that can compete with it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our... Um... A lot of our thoughts are the same here. I think one of mine was obviously the sandbox potential, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the ability to, to your point, to role play or, or to even create your own stories, for your own mental narrative. If, if it's yeah. more of an ambiguous game, like, or one that just kind of leaves you on your own, like a Skyrim or Elden Ring kind of does. Um, and I, I've, I found myself actually doing that a lot with, um, with Elden Ring, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, what I would add to it is, I think there were a, a lot of years, a lot of years, where games felt like just these linear on-rails, uh, vertical slice games. Yeah. It's just pr- press up, go forward, black. do things. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of them. A lot of them. It, yeah. I'm not gonna but put black it on was black. the one that was that one game that I first played. I'm like. I'm not doing anything. I'm just walking <laughs> through this bridge. It's you, like it's like the core, like a glorified corridor game, you know. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. man, this is really annoying. So it, in a way, it was a bit. I, I I hate throwing this word around, but like it was a bit. It was getting a little lazy out here with some of of a video game design. Like people were just kind of doing these little tight, compact games that really didn't push the envelope or try to. I don't know, try to take chances, you know, like we saw the occasional, the Peter Molyneux of the world, you know, want to, to do big, big things. And there were hardware restraints, obviously, uh, to, that, that hampered a lot of those ideas at the time. But it just, awesome too. it just felt like, yeah, but it also just felt like there weren't enough people that were being true visionaries to think about making a game like that someday. And I'd say the other thing, um, and this might sound like a more of a nitpicky thing, but there was a period of time. Um, where these linear games were just chock full of those artificial set pieces, like the Call of Duties of the world, even Uncharted for a time was a lot of the same. Just these, like the you know the explosions, and then this fell down, and that crashed. And we still see some of that today. But to your point, because of the more sandbox uh, potential of, of open world games now, you can have more organic moments than you used to be able to have when games Dude. were kind of it, it felt like a, a tightly produced movie where you weren't allowed to, to veer off track there was even like you know fail states where you couldn't move too far away from the intended path without the countdown uh hitting like so yeah there's less Dude, of that I, movie-esque stuff going on now i think that when you look at those games like in charge to your point and those those kind of set action set pieces i think they're absolutely fucking awesome but there is nothing compares to the moment in Metal Gear Solid Five where I shot down this helicopter and then it started kind of to crash down. And there was all these people that I had alerted were running towards me. The helicopter crash kills them and it kept going and I had to run away where I literally <laughs> jumped. And I got it all. I think I have this all like I captured uh-huh. it. And I jumped out of the way to... It, 
Like, and that was not a scripted thing. That was something that happened based on the physics of the of the game. And nothing has been more awesome than that. And that's something that just randomly happened. Like, that's the kind of stuff. When it happens like that, right. it happens organically. It, it, instead of just like, oh, this cool set action piece. I'm going to replay the game. Oh, the same cool set action piece. It's the same thing. It never changes. It never evolves. It can never change. It can never evolve. Yeah. It's just static. And I love the fact that you can create moments like that in games just by playing the game and and and, and it just be by of your own creation of yeah, your exactly. own play style yeah yep now like on the flip side though yeah the love hate relationship right how do you think open world games may have changed gaming for the worse yeah everything that i, I spoke about taking all that and then just monetizing it you know maybe, oh. <laughs> yeah making it making it a, a a monetary exchange between like oh you like all this discovering of these things well how about you buy 500 million dollars worth of coins so you can buy that stuff that and, shit is, and is, have is, a douchey looking skin to do it well that's kind of my thing though I, all my guys look like that's like that's like my goal all of it guys <laughs> every character he's ever made looks like bad but <laughs> his Elden Ring character in a weird way <laughs> looks like Bad Bunny playing Elden Ring. I don't know what his I deal got, is. I got the, the 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 thing in Elden Ring where it's that that that, that outfit you get with the skull and all that. But yeah. I have like the big uh, head thing that that goes around with, with the mages that they have this like big he head. Got a, a Bad Bunny mask. He's got braids and everything. It's a mess. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I I think uh, mistaking uh, a personality in the video games for like collect-a-thons like you know oh this game has so much to do and it's like collect this thing over yeah and yeah. over and over again uh no world building just hey this is an open world game just go out and, and just like nothing really there it's just like a generic kind of thing uh and i think that the, the one thing that the main thing that i think that has changed uh open world games for the worse is the fact that every game wants to be an open world game. Every game does not need to be an open world game. Like conceptually, if you look at kind of what you want to do more, it does n- very rarely equals better. Like right. example, Shadow of Mordor was excellent. I love Shadow of Mordor. Shadow of War, I I couldn't I couldn't really play much of it because it was so much. It was Shadow of Mortar times 10 times 35 million more. Like, it was just, like, so much stuff happened in that game. That that's it weird just, math. That's another, that, that's, a, that's another game that got me to, like, it just felt, I think ultimately it just felt like it had no soul. Yeah. And that's kind of, like, where it feels like a soulless experience where it's, like, all this awesome stuff is happening around you. And it just, there's something about it that doesn't feel right, you know? So yeah, I I agree. Uh, it it just feels like it's a lot of games now are open world for the sake of being open world because that's the thing to do. It's chic. It's 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 the thing, and I think a lot of that is causing these games to to feel like they don't have any focus. You know, yeah. and that was something I put a pin in earlier when I talked about Gran Turismo uh, Seven, but. You know, these linear games, yeah, you know, they're not as vast. Yeah, those are just tracks instead of, you know, uh, an entire cross-country experience. But it is it knows exactly what it's doing within that in that in that tighter confinement and it's excelling in it. Right. A lot of open world, a lot of open world games, especially some that 
take a series into open world for the first time. They they introduce it and it's just like, well, here's some pretty looking vistas and you know that looks cool over there. You see that mountain? You can do. It's the same. It's the same stuff. It's the same Fallout moment where you like the vault moment where you step out and then they they make the light so bright at first to make your eyes adjust. You know, air quotes here. And it, it's it's just kind of tapping into the same thing and it it just gets dry after a while. It's a lot of fluff, like you said. It's the maps are full of icons all over the place. It's the same kinds of missions a lot of the a lot of the side missions that that happen now uh with some exceptions obviously in 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 some in some recent games over the years are just not worth going and traveling to do um yeah they're not time efficient in my opinion they're not the best use of your time like you know like yeah you could fast travel from here to there but a lot of games encourage you to kind of travel you know, in, in, in real time. And it just feels like a chore. Um, you know, I, I don't enjoy it as much as other people do. In horizon from the West, for example, there was a thing where I got to go meet somebody and I, I, and I traveled like, it was like 2000 kilometers, whatever away I go 2000. I, I talk to her, this person, I go into a cave and find nothing like, Oh, well, mission accomplished. It's oh, like, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, what did I, why, why did I do this? It's yeah, so stupid. Exactly. Really? So it, it's, it's an investment. Uh, it's a time investment to, to go and travel this open world. And it puts more pressure on the actual missions or content to be, to be that much greater. And a lot of, and a lot of these studios are not good at making that content that much worth your while. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it makes it feel like icon hell and busy work. I think it also, as I said with the Yakuza 0 thing, is it it kind of buries storytelling. And, and yes, a lot of games, the Breath of the Wilds of the world, Elden Rings of the world, are not trying to hit you with a lot. They don't really care too much about hitting you with a big story. They keep things fairly light and minimal in the back burner. And that's cool. But there are a lot of open world games that are trying to be bombastic and trying to be, you know, rich, uh, so to speak, that... It, they just can't build any momentum because the game is constantly distracting you by asking you to do 17 other types of things and care about the main mission and remember who that person's name was and what they wanted and what this was about. I, you know, like I hate to, you know, go to something so recent, but that was a big problem that I had with, uh, with horizon. It was like, I don't even know what you wanted. Because <laughs> you want, because the game wanted me to do this and go find something for homeboy over here, and it, it was just like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to care about now. So like, it, it to me, I think again, it just kind of circles back to the focus element of you're not telling me where to place my attention the best, right. oh, unless you're a game that is intentionally leaving it up to me to connect my own dots. Like you know, recent games. I, keep, I hate to keep going back to Elden Ring, but like that's the closest example. Um, so I just, I, I think that stuff has really made open world games feel exhausting and long in the tooth. And, and it's made me just habitually mainline them unless I am really inspired to take my time or to take on other things. Cause the FOMO and, isn't hitting, it doesn't do it for me anymore. I don't feel that. Not only no that though, you, you've mainlined them and you've enjoyed them. Yeah, you know, yeah, still got a story, great experience. Like, yeah. Probably a better one. If I had dragged it out and, and and spread the main missions so thin to do X, Y, and Z in the middle, I don't think I'd have as as, as good of a time. You know, so yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it definitely affects me. Um, so you know, with these kinds of pros and cons, Pablo, it, it, keeping this stuff in mind and thinking about the future of open world games, I think it's pretty safe to say they're not going anywhere. Right, it's no, probably even going to get crazier than this. Yeah. yeah, 
So what what is next for open world games, in your opinion, and how do you think that they need to evolve? Yeah, recognizing your concept in terms of a story or whatever it is, and 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 and, and actually being quote unquote brave and not making the game open world yeah. if it doesn't need to be, um, devolving its concepts, like simplifying it. One Grand Theft Auto San Andreas to Grand Theft Auto Four. I. I, 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 I'm always between uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 or Grand Theft Auto Vice City being my favorite. Um, today I'm leaning 4. 4 is my favorite. Let's just say <laughs> that. And, and I just say because it, it, when you look at everything that you did in San Andreas, if you ate too much, you got fat, you can work out, get buff, all the stuff that you can do in that in San Andreas, none of that exists in Grand Theft Auto 4 because the main focus the Rockstar with Grand Theft Auto 4 was telling a story about an immigrant, Nico Bellic, and his cousin Roman, and just kind of being fish out of water and finding a revenge story about everything that that happened to him like these little things that's the main focus that's what the game wants you to really focus on sure it has the silliness and the kind of overt craziness that grand theft auto games are known for to a lesser uh, degree but it really kind of brings out characters like brucey and all these kind of characters that you that you that are really like eccentric and and it, it based they, they were not afraid to simplify the formula they created to tell you a story that that, that was their most serious story that they've ever made. They're a story that actually had a little bit more meaning than just being crazy and wacky and satire. It was it was it was mm. a lot more a, 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 a character piece. And the way that they did that is by stripping it completely of all the bombastic shit and just kind of focusing on on the basis of, of their game. And that way you can re- that story can really stand out. And I, I love that game. I think that game is absolutely amazing. I think it's 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 incredible. And be, and the reason it's incredible is because I don't have to worry about getting Nico Bellic fat. I don't have to worry <laughs> about working him out and stuff like that. Which I, I think San Andreas is is great. It, you know, it, but I think all, each of those games kind of do their own thing. And I really 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 like four. And one of the reasons why five I I think is a great game, but it's one of my least favorite Grand Theft Auto uh, games because of the fact that. It just brings everything out to the forefront. It's everything, mm. everything, everything, and it's, it does a lot. Um, trusting its players, and I, 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 I'm gonna say that I hate bringing it up, but I don't hate bringing it up. Elden Ring exploration, trusting your players to. You don't need to to specifically point out where they need to go. You don't need specifically to be like, this is the quest log. This is what you need to do next. Trust your players. Create a world where it really, really begs you to explore it, and exploring then gives you the actual, uh, you know, the actual knowledge to where to go next, what to do next. You know, just mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff. That a lot of games don't trust their players. It's about go here, and it's like a, a, a path in the sand to take you directly there and tell you how many steps. It's like <laughs> it's so crazy in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, creating actual worlds and not just maps in which you stick your stupid fucking mission, fetch mission. Like, mm-hmm. like do more. Um, and, and that's basically it. And stop making a game as a bang for your buck. I don't need 900 side missions to say this is worth $60. No, because if you're telling a great story, you know, go back to Grand Theft Auto 4. It costs as much as Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and, 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 and as much as Grand Theft Auto 5. But it doesn't have the same amount of content. But for me, it's equally as, a, 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 you know, it's equally as, as, as an accepted Grand Theft Auto game because of how good it is. It's all about quality. It's not about quantity. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I think, I think what I'd add to what you're saying is two things. Number one, and this is maybe a little bit more of a bigger thing than I anticipated but I think that thematically the biggest problem that open world games are going to have to solve in the future 
um, is how they want people to be immersed. Yeah. It's one thing to want people to be immersed. It's a nice, it's a nice want if you're a studio that's making an open world game. But you have to define what kind of immersion it is you want me to feel. Right. Because if you just want me to step into an open world and be amazed that I'm in your open world, it's not going to happen anymore because yeah. every game under the sun or practically every game under the sun is open world now. So you yeah. have to do more than just check off that box for me to feel immersed into your game. You have to figure out how you're going to tell a story in that world. You have to figure out what's going to be interesting to see and do in that world, right? You, you can't just give me a bunch of icons on a map and say that's where your immersion is because every game's doing that right now with, yep. again, a very, 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 very select few, right? So you can want me to be immersed all you'd like, but until you are explaining the how or your intention behind that immersion that you want, I don't know how to take your game as anything more than just being another open world game just yeah. my, my brain how it works me personally i can't calculate how you want me to feel about playing in probably the the 12th or 13th open world game i played this year you know yeah. what i mean the the whole do this or go anywhere should no longer be a viable it's, pitch for it's not anybody. a pitch Ex exactly that that everybody is does it. it's a for it's a foregone conclusion now so now yeah. what now what Right. And, and maybe it is the less is more approach like Elden Ring. We're going to take take all the conventions out and you just go find your adventure. Right. Maybe <laughs> the, maybe it's another type of evolution that we can't even think of yet. Because Look at the exact opposite of what Elden Ring is doing to an extent where you have Mafia 3, which is an absolutely amazing story that you cannot progress unless you reach this new location and do the 25 things in the checklist over and over. Right. Every new location, you do the same thing. Get a card, do this, formulaic. do that. It's formulaic as hell. And really, the whole entire Mafia 3 story, which is so good, is lost because in order for me to unlock the next progression in the story, I have to literally sit there and quite literally <laughs> check off a checklist. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's insane. And here's the other one. Interactivity. I'm tired of these open world games that come out and it's always window dressing. You can't go yeah. into that building. That says it's open. There's a sign that literally says open, but you can't walk in there. You can't go. So these games are get, these worlds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but they're actually getting less and less and less interactive. Especially if they're more like a cityscape type of type of game, yeah, yeah, yeah. like actually a mafia. You can't do anything in mafia no, except no. drive, and that is you can get out of the car and walk down the sidewalk at a bunch of shops and stores you cannot walk into. So I think open world games actually need to get a little smaller so that there is more opportunity to actually build more interactive. Like I want to be able to go in these places I'm walking past and you can't in this game or, or in yeah. most games. Um, even Cyberpunk, as much as I love Cyberpunk, that was a lot of window dressing, bro. So War Inspector, uh, which is a, 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 a game dev you know, kind of like a legend in game development. He he says his his ideal game that he wants to make in the near future is a apartment building open world game where every door and everything in that game you can interact with. You can enter every kind of uh, building. Everything is interactable. Like mm -hmm. if it's a door, you can enter it. And he goes and and you know people are like well I think you have to expand the world. It's like it's not about expanding. It's about actually making the world smaller, but making it actually a lot more in depth because you can do anything and everything 
in this small little thing. Every door in that apartment can be opened, and right. every yeah. thing is different in there. That, that's the fire. kind of interactivity. That's awesome. That's a great idea. And what and what developers see, developers aren't they're not pulling one over my head. A lot of these developers are making their open world games literally outdoors, like the the nature open world, right? Because it's easier to 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 get around that when you can just say, well, you know, the time that our game is set in, it's just mountains and and forests and trees, and so you don't have to worry about making every little corner of that game packed with something interesting to see or do. So it makes you know people get tired of, and I even get tired of the Breath of the Wild of this, the Breath of the Wild. Of that kind of comparisons, but I think that game and 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 Elden Ring and probably Witcher I'd throw in there, maybe Skyrim, Fallout, yeah. are great examples of games that reward you for the exploration. Right? Yeah. There's nothing worse than trying to go to a cool looking thing you see off in the distance, and you get there and it ain't nothing. You yeah. know what I mean? So <laughs> it, it's just or there's nothing there for you. There's no reward. There's no dungeon. There's nothing there. You know. So even those games that are like not trying to be in a city like a GTA or Cyberpunk or Mafia. And they're just trying to wow you with nature and expansive, beautiful, vast nature. There's still ways you can make even that type of landscape or environment interactive. Unless, again, it is ingrained into the design or concept, like a Death Stranding. Um, yeah. I know you don't like Shadow of the Colossus, but it was part of the Shadow yeah. of Colossus design yeah. philosophy, right? Of uh, being very minimal, very secluded. So, it, overall, I think it is about immersion. Uh, and defining that better and the level or lack thereof of interactivity that has to get better uh, for, for open world games to matter. And I, I also want to kick it back to you one more time before we wrap. Where do you think linear games fit into AAA gaming's future at this point? Is it is it going away? Is it is it on life support? Is there a comeback you think can happen? Like, where do you think linear yeah, games I- actually stand right now? I think they're as viable as open world games. I mean, look at the example of Forza Horizon 5. And then Grand, Th- Grand Turismo 7. Like, you know, those games are racing games, sure, but they're doing two different things. Mm. And they're very viable in their own way. Like, you look at games like last year's It Takes Two. Not an open world game. Returnal. We're not a fan of Returnal, but it's not an open world game. Ratchet. You know, Resident Evil Village is not an open world game. What they've done is they take these hubs and they make them a little bigger. Yeah, yeah. But it's, they're, they're not open world games. Like, even this year, Sifu. Sifu's a great game. Not an open world Psychonauts, game. These, uh, Psychonauts. Psychonauts. Ratchet. The, these... Yeah, yeah, these games are not open world games. They are very viable. And that's the thing that I'm telling you. If you have an idea for a game, your first idea shouldn't be, how do I fit my idea into an open world? No, let that come to you. If it happens to be that this game is going to be a better experience as a linear kind of thing, that's great. I mean, Control is one of my favorite games of the last couple of years. Not an open world game. Like, yeah. The, the, these these games don't need to be open world, and I don't think they're on life support. I think what happens is that that a lot of times the big AAA games that are coming out uh, are open world, and that's kind of just the 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 part for the course. But, I mean, look at God of War; it's an open area, but it's not really an open world game. That's you know, so I, I don't think that a linear game. Uh, I don't think they're in trouble. I don't think that they're uh, less viable in any way, shape, or form. If any, if anything. Uh, when it comes to storytelling, specifically storytelling, they're more viable in that way. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh-huh. I think they have yeah. a place. They have a place in gaming. I think the problem is going to be like, you know, what these corporations think is the best, most chic thing to do. Like, yeah. is the gaming community, like, you know, casuals think that open world game beats 
linear world game, you know, and, and do you, is it all going to become kind of focus tested hell, you know, of like, yeah. this is what people want. So, you know, and people complain about Sony a little bit with that, like Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon, uh, even The Last of Us in some ways, God of War, they all kind of feel like the same-ish ballpark yeah, kind of thing. Third person, here the, right? So like, story driven. Yeah. And so it, I think it's it's going to be a matter of yes, there's there's definitely a place for linear games to exist. I I definitely want them, but is it going to be a problem for the people who greenlight video games um, to greenlight a linear game? They still get greenlit. I'm not saying that they're going away either, but like, uh, is there going to be more of a tug to say, hey, why don't you? We'll greenlight that if you can. Can you make that open world for us? Yeah, <laughs> linear games don't don't. Uh don't like uh lend themselves to uh longer play times or yeah. monetization and that's that's the issue you'll run mm-hmm. into i wouldn't be man i would not be surprised if in the future we get like a linear story game right mm-hmm. and then the multiplayer aspect is that game but open world you know, you know what i mean like this is the same <laughs> game but an open world and it's it, it's so much money you can spend here like shit like that but we'll see last question Quick answer, off the cuff. Best open world game you've ever played is Blink. You said off the cuff. Off the cuff. <laughs> can I say Elden Ring? You can say whatever you like. It's your, it's no, I, I think, I, uh, I mean, it's too early to say Elden Ring. I think uh, oh, Breath of the Wild okay. is, my, is probably my favorite game, open world game I've ever played. But then it's like... I like it because of sandbox. It's a sandbox, mm-hmm. but then it's you can think about Grand Theft Auto Four as a, a open world game that has a very story. But I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be, um, it would probably be actually no, it's Witcher Three. I was just gonna out. say, you, yeah. you don't want that game, yeah. I'll claim it. <laughs> yeah, it's mine. Witcher Three hands yeah. out. I don't even think about it. it's Witcher Three hands out. Absolutely, there's nothing. I mean, it, it, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, it, it's it's it. Pff, yeah, it's Witcher Three. Fuck am yeah. I talking about? Tripping. That's my pick too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, man. That was a good conversation, man. I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Uh, and we hope that you did too. I uh, hope you enjoyed all of this week's show, actually. Uh, that is going to wrap up this week's show. Until next time, be sure to give our podcast a sub, please, now, if you enjoy this. Uh, also, don't forget to follow us on IG at Podcast and Twitter at CooldownTimePod so that we'll always be in your FOV. You're welcome. We'll see you next time. Make me feel good.